Dumb Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk about the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and give you our picks for the Uniform Number Hall of Fame and Hall of Shame. You can hit us up at puttingupnumbers.com and give us your picks as well. I'm Tom Davis here in the City of Angels, and as always, joining me from Big D, you ain't got to ask because he's on the task like a corona mask. It's Rudy Klanick. Rudy, tell him today's number. Tom, today's number is number 49. Number 49. Why number 49? Because we had the rare opportunity to talk to not only a college football superstar, not only a guy that played in two Super Bowls, but also a big-time Hollywood actor in one of our favorite shows as kids, <laughs> Hill Street Blues. We talked to Ed Marinero you about bet. number 49. How about that? You know, kind of an obscure number, and Ed has a story as to why he was number 49, which he'll get into, and he'll talk about why he was 44 as well. This is a little bit of an unusual one for you fans of the podcast. The interview is going to be a little bit longer, and and Rudy and I are going to be a little bit shorter just because Ed had so many unbelievable stories. So, Let's just dive into it. Here's our interview with the great Ed Marinero. Our guest today is a talented actor and one of the greatest players in college football history. As a running back at Cornell, Ed Marinero set 16 NCAA records on his way to becoming a three-time All-American and the first player in history to rush for more than 4,000 yards. In 1971, he won the Maxwell Award and the AP and UPI Player of the Year Awards and finished second to Pat Sullivan in the race for the Heisman Trophy. In his six-year pro career with the Vikings, Jets, and Seahawks, he played in two Super Bowls before turning his attention to acting, where he appeared on hit shows like Laverne and Shirley, Sisters, and Hill Street Blues. Next year, you can see him in the Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. He's our first guest with an Ivy League education and our first college football Hall of Famer, Ed Marinero. Welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. It's uh, kind of a when I heard what the topic was, it kind of made me start to think about the whole process of getting a number, when it starts in your athletic career. And it was uh, very thought-provoking. Then I got a headache and I stopped thinking about it. <laughs> we'll dive into numbers in, in just a second, but we're, we're obviously excited to have you for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is you know our friend Scott Malaga, and you can give us an honest assessment of his career at Cornell. He has touted himself as the second best running back in Cornell history. Ed Marinero, can you definitively say that he is the second best running back in Cornell history? In one word, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. From what I hear, he was a pretty tough, tough runner. And, you know, he he, he kind of continued in the, in the long line of tailbacks at Cornell. We had a, a pretty good streak there, and he was uh, certainly one of the the better ones. And it's all the nice things I'm going to say about him. He's going to keep that recording forever, Ed. <laughs> no, he's a, he's a good, he's a good fella. He's, he's the kind of Ivy League guy that makes you be proud of being Ivy now, League. We're probably going to edit nice. that. So after you said overrated, that's all that's going to, that's, that's it. But, um, <laughs> that's it. <nonetheless>, <laughs> we appreciate the assessment. Ed, we're here to talk about Jersey numbers and we wanted to talk about your uh, college number, number 44 and kind of the genesis and the history of 44 on your back. When I went away to Cornell, you know, they, they had some high hopes for me. And I met the sports information guy, a little guy named Benny Mintz. He brought me in his office, smoking a cigarette. He says, you know what, Ed? I got a great idea. We have a guy, a senior, just graduated. His name's Eddie Zach. He's from New Jersey. He was number 25. I'm going to give you number 25. And I went, you know, Mr. Mintz, I got a better idea. Now, this was my marketing brain already working. I said, I said, hey, 
Cornell, upstate New York. What's the closest university? Syracuse. Who are the two greatest players in Syracuse history? Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, 44. Boom. He goes, yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> so that's how I got 44. So I go all through my college career. They retire 44 Cornell, which is very a great honor. You know, I think having a double-digit number, it sort of makes you symmetrical and you, you feel more balanced wearing, you know, the same number on each side of your body. That's probably uh, a little weird to say, but they kind of remember you. There's certain numbers that are sort of nondescript, you know, like 37, you know. But everybody remembers 11, 22, 33, 44, 55, 66, right? Absolutely. I that earlier today. That's pretty symmetrical. I think you're probably more balanced. Helps your balance through the line, man, when you're running. I love it. Well, 44, I, I love the story. We were talking about 44. We we're talking about this Syracuse running back. They made it a tradition. So that was a neat, neat way to, to bring it to Cornell. Floyd Little as well. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And now don't think for one minute I'm comparing myself to any of those guys. They were they were great players, but um, at the time. It was uh, more of a tribute to them. And in fact, I got to be friends with Jim Brown. Oh, wow. When we lived, when we lived in uh, L.A., um, we played racquetball together and played some golf together. We played basketball up at the Playboy Mansion, uh, Hugh Hefner's. Um, that was fun. Uh, <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> as long as, as long as you're, as long as you're in balance. <laughs> Jim was a great guy, obviously a great football player, and uh, he was always really nice to me, and I, and I made me feel good. In fact, he told me he said he one day we were playing basketball, and he's an intimidating guy, and he was knocking the crap out of me, bouncing, and I was just hitting him, bouncing him right back. We were elbowing each other, you know. I didn't give an inch. And, uh, you know, he said to me after he played, he goes, no, you're, you're, you're a tough man. Was there any significance to 49 for you? Was it just something you liked or was there somebody that wore 49? Okay, I, I'm going to, I got to start from when I was in high school, okay? Because it, it, there's sort of a through line in there. In high school, uh, I was a New York Giant fan, uh, being a New Jersey guy. And there was a player on the Giants, his name was, Erich Barnes, um, I know you probably don't remember him, but he was a uh, defensive back wide receiver. And for some reason, I felt like I looked like Erich Barnes when he was wearing a uniform. Okay. We were kind of built the same way. So when I went to high school, uh, my sophomore year in high school, which was probably the first time I could pick a number, and I got 49. And I wore that all through high school. So I get drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. They ask, what number do you want? Now, somebody had 44 of the Vikings. I kept 49, and the next year, Chuck Foreman came in. He took 44, and, you know, he made the number famous. You know, I 49 was my number. I played for four different teams, and I had, fortunately, I got 49 with every team. So it's my, I guess it's my lucky number. And at some point in your professional career, you decided to take up acting. How did that sort of come your way? You know, Joe Namath and I were good buddies. My senior in college, I met him at a dinner in New York City. They tap on my shoulder, I turn around, it's Joe Namath. I mean, the most 
pooped in my pants. So we we just became friends. He, he's such a, he's such a great guy. He kind of took me under his wing, and so I spent a lot of time with him. We were out in L.A. I was hanging with him, and he was you know pretty involved in the entertainment business at that time. And I met a uh, an agent while I was there. And I asked if I would be interested in doing a screen test to replace Lee Majors in the Six Million Dollar Man. What? <laughs> yeah, well, you no, know, I mean it was it was sort of a negotiating ploy. I think they you know. They were having a contract deal, so they, they figured, well, we'll screen test some guys, you know. So they gave me a, a contract. When you do a screen test, they, you, you, you get pre-signed. You know, you, they know if you get the job, they already know what you're going to get paid. Now, I had just finished my fourth year in Minnesota. I had a three-year contract, and my fourth year was an option year. And at that time, there was no real free agency at all. So my first... Three years, I made twenty four thousand, twenty six thousand, twenty eight thousand. My fourth year, I took a ten percent pay cut and made twenty five two. I started fifteen games. I was third in the NFC, sixth in the NFL in receiving, and uh, we went to the playoffs. We lost to the Cowboys in that Hail Mary game, and I made twenty five thousand two hundred dollars. This contract to do the screen test, the deal was for 22 episodes of Six Man Dollar Man at $10,000 an episode. So I'm looking at this thing, going, what? Is there a mistake here? $220,000. And I'm making twenty-five two and getting my ass kicked every Sunday. <laughs> I said to myself, I said, wow, if somebody thinks I can do this, I'm going to take a shot. You know, when my career is over, I just said, I'm going to Hollywood. And I, I went out there and really kind of committed to it and took me a while to get my, you know, my first gig. You know, people knew who I was, but they weren't going to give me a job based on who I was. So, you know, then I got a break. I did Laverne and Shirley, which was a big deal for me. And then um, they fired me and I'd never work again. And then, you know, just by chance, I got Hill Street Blues, which kind of was my... You know, that, that sort of changed everything for me. It gave me kind of instant credibility as an actor, uh, just working with all those great actors, the great, you know, it was, a, it was a, looking, even looking back at it, it was a, an unbelievable uh, production with the, the kind of writers we had, the actors we had, the producers. It was such a, you know, a once in a lifetime type deal. I'm so lucky that that happened for me or else, you know, I'd still be, uh, Talking about Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> That's uh, Hill Street Blues. So Mike Warren's in the cast uh, as well. So were you even the best athlete in that cast? Oh, I definitely was the best athlete. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Awesome. Dunk over him for sure. We had a certain kind of bond, just having a mutual experience of playing at, uh, I mean, hell, playing at UCLA basketball is like, uh, doesn't get much bigger than that. Not at all. That's a great story, man. Hill Street Blues, that's as big as it gets. You mentioned the Jets. I wanted to ask you, is that the Lou Holtz year? <laughs> <laughs> that was the year. That was uh, that was an experience. That's a trivia question, man. You ask people that, you know, you know who my coach was? Those are the Jets? Nobody knows. <laughs> Lou Holtz was 
he was, God bless him, he was a fish out of water. He, he did not belong in the NFL. I mean, he was a great college coach. He's, you know, he's a great speaker. But with all due respect, when, when you walk into that, especially the Jets, we were such a ragtag group at that time. The first exhibition game of this, no, I think it was the first game of the season. We get in the huddle, pregame warm-ups, we're running plays, and Namath comes in the huddle, he looks up, and he looks at the right tackle, and he goes, he says, hey, I'm Joe Namath. You know, he, he's interesting introducing himself to the right tackle, like, before the game. He never met him before. <laughs> what? That's how this thing was. That's a true story. But Lou was, Lou, uh, you know, he tried to kind of do the college stuff. It's all he knew. And you know, he had that list. He talked like this. You know, he says, this fellas, he says, um, we're going to, we're going to make this team. We're going to, when we have our first win, we're going to do uh, my, the New York Jets fight song. You know? <laughs> and he had his fight song that he passed out. We won our first game. We were 0 4 in exhibition season. We played, we played this. Houston Oilers. And well, now we're 1 and 4. What are we going to celebrate? So we walk in the locker room. They give it out. They give it out this mimeograph piece of paper, and it's a fight song. So the K-songs go rolling along. We're the Jets, we're the best, we will win this game today, and the Jets will go rolling. <laughs> I mean, we're looking at this thing like, this guy's nuts. So he, he gets up there, he stands on a box, and he goes, all right, everybody, let's go all together now. We're the Jets, we're the best. And these veterans, they looked at it. They crumpled up the paper and they threw it and they went back in the locker room. At the end of the song, there were like four rookies standing there singing to Luke. <laughs> well, then, uh, then later the Cowboys, like, God, they ripped your heart out with that uh, Hail Mary, man. Uh, oh, God. This is a funny story. We're standing in the sidelines. We're up by, you know, more than a field goal. It's fourth and 19. And we had one of our other running backs, this rookie, Robert Miller, who I just saw at our Viking reunion. I remember staying on the sidelines. I turned to Robert Miller. I said, Robert, you're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I looked up and boom. I take that back, Robert. Um, no, it was uh, – yeah, that was – that was amazing when you when you think back at it. What was, uh, somebody, what was that locker room like? I think that we were just all kind of in a daze. I mean, that was that was a shocker. It wasn't like we we got trounced. I mean, it happened so fast, so quick. It was over. Boom. But you know what? I had some great years there. Made some great friends. It's a, it was a great plan for Bud Grant. Was uh, I think in four years he said four words to me. <laughs> what was it like to play with Joe Namath when Joe Namath was really Joe Namath? You know, Joe and I still are friends. Uh, I, we talk and text each other. and He was such a great guy. I mean, he was, he was something. He was, there'll never be another Joe Namath. No athlete ever will have the impact that he had on a sport from all different aspects. I mean, he was a, not only a great athlete, but he brought something that changed the game to this day. And everybody's often imitated, but never duplicated. 
he was just cool. He was the coolest guy. He's still the coolest guy I know. I mean, we, and I hung with him. Everything he did was like outside the box. He had his own style. Nothing was manufactured. Nothing was contrived. It was the real deal. He just, if he felt it, he did it and it was cool. You know, he, and he didn't, he didn't try. He didn't really try hard, but he was just, you know, just a sharp guy, everything. And he made it look so easy. That's awesome. Um, and he did it in a, in a in a town that's really hard to do that stuff in, man. If you can uh, survive the bright lights in New York, you are you're a man's man. There's not too many of the superstars that have been able to deal with that. So it's uh, it says a lot. And what what I remember the, the thing that kind of affected me most about being around him was the way he treated other people, the way he treated fans. He knew the kind of effect that he could have on somebody by just being nice to them for like a fraction of a second. He had that power. We lived together for the first maybe month and a half when I was with the Jets. So we went back and forth to practice every day together. And we'd come home at night and put on some brute aftershave and then uh, hit the hit the streets. And it was amazing. It was fun. But it taught me a lot just watching the way he handled himself. And, you know, he was pretty bombarded. He, there was nobody more famous in this country than Joe Namath. He's just a, he's just a special guy. Special guy. We've entered the plug zone, uh, which means we're almost to the end of the interview as well. But tell us what you're doing these days, Ed. I'm actually have a nice role in the, this new Sopranos movie, you know, he's a really interesting kind of character. The actors, they don't quit. They just either can't remember their lines anymore or they die. But uh, I want I, I know I can still do it and I'm going to do it until some, nobody hires me anymore. So that might have already happened. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome, man. Thanks for the time today. All right, guys. Thank you. Take care. We appreciate it. Thank you. See ya. Our thanks to the great Ed Marinero for some unbelievable stories. Hope you guys enjoyed the time that we had to spend with him. Uh, so, Rudy, let's dive into contenders. Uh, we're going to start off in football. Uh, and number one on the contender list for me is Bobby Mitchell. He played for the Browns as a running back and played for the Redskins as a wide receiver, a Hall of Famer, 14,000 plus all-purpose yards, which was second in NFL history when he retired, 91 career touchdowns, and also was in the front office for the Redskins, uh, actually in the beginning at uh, the request of Vince Lombardi. So I think Bobby's on the list. The other 49, Dennis Smith, first round pick out of USC in 81, plays 14 years with the Broncos. I'd say Dennis Smith maybe has an outside shot at the Hall of Fame, but it's really hard for guys who were just pure safeties, and that's exactly what he was. Yeah, he didn't put up the big interception numbers, man, but that guy was uh, the backbone of a really good Broncos team. Yeah, and, uh, you know, 1,100 tackles, which that's not nothing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that's, a, that's amazing. You know, another another 49 from my part of the world, uh, Tom Landry. How <laughs> about Tom Landry, man? Played six season for the New York football Giants. He was a great football player. Obviously, legendary head coach around here. The man in the funny hat. Uh, pro bowler, all pro, and became a Hall of Famer for his deeds on the field and on the sideline, for sure. Tom Landry wears 49 with the New York football Giants, as you had mentioned. And then the next guy to wear 49 is Erich Barnes who Ed talked about as being the guy. 
And of course, I had to look up Erich Barnes. I had no idea who this guy was. He was a six-time Pro Bowler and four-time All-Pro. So this guy could play a little bit. And then after that, I'm I'm going to yeah, Chiefs please. homer you. Sorry, I'm going to I'm going to be a Chiefs homer and uh, throw in Tony Richardson. He played with the Chiefs. He played with the Vikings. He played with the Jets. Back when a fullback just blocked, and that's yeah, exactly Tony what he Richardson did. Tony Richardson is to the Chiefs what Daryl Moose Johnston is to the Cowboys. Man, he's a legend. He's never had to buy a beer in Dallas. I'm sure Tony Richardson can say the same in Kansas City. Did a lot of the dirty work, but uh, we don't have any fullbacks anymore. And of course, we throw on every down now. Thank you. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and every other quarterback in <laughs> in the league, uh, so you don't need the guy to to uh, you know the big road grader guy that somebody can can run behind anymore. Who else we got on the? Uh, these are really sentimental favorites, um, but who else we got on that list? Yeah, forty nine is a weird number, not the biggest best number ever, but we did find some interesting ones. So Mike Ciani, um, remember Mike Ciani? You probably remember Mike Ciani. Hated Mike Ciani and twice a year. Yeah, yeah hated yeah. Mike Ciani growing up and. Uh, Dwayne Woodruff, who was a really good player for the Steelers, um, was a rookie when they won the Super Bowl in 79. And now he's a judge and unsuccessfully, unfortunately for him, ran for Pennsylvania Supreme Court twice and lost. But it's about the only thing he's ever lost. And he remains a judge. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then one kind of very strange one, former quarterback from Michigan, Bob Chappius who finished second in the Heisman voting in 1947. That year, the Wolverines beat USC 49 to nothing in the Rose Bowl. So number 49 puts up 49 on the scoreboard. There you go. His college career was interrupted by service in World War II. He was a gunner on a B-25 and was shot down and was rescued by the Italian resistance and he and two other crew members were basically kept under wraps by the Italian resistance for the th- final three months of World War II. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting story. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, anybody who hangs 49 on USC, I got no problem with that. Absolutely. And you know what, man? All of our many, many thousands and thousands and thousands of podcast listeners, they get a history lesson with this, too. They don't even just get just jersey numbers. I mean, we go deep. Tom Davis Research Department goes deep. And that's deep. I like it. It is the public service that we perform for our listeners. Uh, and it's uh, it's a labor of love, yeah. I have to say. But anyway, there's Bob Chappius for you. So, Rudy, baseball. Talk to me about the baseball guys. Well, we got some interesting ones in baseball. So the, the one that comes the first to mind is Ron Guidry, a fantastic left-handed starting pitcher for the Yankees. Played for the Yankees for 14 years. Part of two World Series champs. Cy Young winner. His 78 season was one of the greatest seasons ever by a starter. 25 and three. I mean, that just is one of the greatest seasons ever. Ron Guidry was fantastic. So 49 on the baseball side, I'd, I'd give the nod to Guidry, but there's four guys in 49 that all have, they're all pitchers and they all have the common thread that they're all knuckleballers. So we got Hoyt Wilhelm, who old time, old school knuckleballer back in the mid fifties, um, very successful. And he, you know, donned 49. I don't think we know why he wore 49, but we know he is in the hall of fame. He was inducted in 1985. Then Charlie Huff, a uh, great knuckleballer for the Dodgers and later the Rangers. He picked up 49. Why? Because he wanted to honor Hoyt Wilhelm. So it's pretty cool. Um, he wore 49 and then he kind of passed the torch literally to Tim Wakefield 
Another fantastic knuckleballer. These guys throw a pitch that goes about 52 to 65 miles an hour, and they get major league baseball hitters out. Very good pitcher, had obviously a long career, can throw the knuckleball forever. And then one last knuckleballer on the 49 list is Tom Candiotti. Candiotti played for the Dodgers for a long time, played for several other squads as well. But another guy that was a fantastic pitcher, 16-year career, Came back from Tommy John surgery. Um, second player ever to come back from Tommy John surgery other than. It was almost Tom Candiotti surgery. Yes, almost Tom Candiotti <laughs> surgery. Interesting lineage there with 49 and knuckleball guys. I'd have to put Gidry at the top of the baseball list, but certainly an interesting list on the baseball side. No doubt. And yeah, if you're a knuckleballer, you're going to play for a very long time. Hoyt Wilhelm didn't throw his first major league pitch until he was 29, but <laughs> he played until he was 49. So that's 20 years for those of you who are math challenged. Charlie Huff uh, wore number 49 and played for 25 years. Actually, Tommy Lasorda is credited with making him a knuckleball pitcher to basically prolong his career. He was signed as an infielder and uh, Lasorda said, you're really slow. As a matter of fact, the joke was he said if Charlie raced a pregnant woman, he'd finish third. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he made himself a knuckleball pitcher. And other than serving up uh, one of Reggie Jackson's home runs in that historic 78 World Series game, he had a great career. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some other guys, you know, some other baseball players, just sentimental guys who wore number 49. Giovanni Gallardo, maybe not uh, maybe not a household name, but he wore 49 because uh, he was a Mexican born pitcher, as was Teddy Higuera. And Teddy Higuera wore uh, number 49 with distinction for the Brewers. Matter of fact, Teddy Higuera was the second Mexican born pitcher to win 20 games. Yeah, those are good ones. Uh, you know, Warren Cromartie, part of my one of my favorite uh, outfields growing up, Ellis Valentine and Andre the Hawk Dodd with Warren Cromartie. Man, Warren was good, but he was even better when he went to Japan. He won an MVP, a league MVP when he played in Japan, which is pretty cool. Larry Durker, a great pitcher, a very solid pitcher, and also a very solid baseball announcer for, for many years. Another 49, along with Armando Benitez and the great Rob Dibble part of the Nasty Boys bullpen for the Reds. Yeah, my favorite Rob Dibble story, they were playing the Padres one time and Jack McKeon complained about his uniform because Dibble, he had his jersey altered so that he had more room in the shoulder. So Dibble actually changed into pitching coach Stan Williams' number 35 jersey and then uh, threw two and a third innings of uh, shutout baseball. So in your face, Jack McKeon. In your face, in your face. So that's that's a good run of 40, not a, not a Hall of Fame run of 40, but a decent run in baseball. Um, we look at basketball and we look at hockey. Not that great, Tom. Not 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 a lot of uh, not a lot of highlights here. Shandon Anderson is our best basketball forty nine because there's a grand total, at least we could find, of two of them. So Shandon Anderson is definitely the best ever to wear forty nine. And on the hockey side, um, I think the consensus was Brian Savage, because again, we couldn't find very many, man. I mean, hardly any, actually. So Brian Savage, Shannon Anderson, uh, your trophies are in the mail. You are the greatest 49s in your sports history. If you are a youngster within the sound of our voices there in podcast land, and you have any interest at all in playing basketball or hockey, 49 is wide open. So Rudy, let's move on and do your favorite topic and mine screen stars uh number two coming in on number two on the list there's only two is jonathan silverman the great jonathan silverman of weekend at bernie's fame he played jim bowers in a movie called little big league in 1994 where a kid 
manages the Minnesota Twins. And number one on the list, Kenny Rogers, the great Kenny Rogers, not the Rangers pitcher Kenny Rogers, the country music superstar Kenny Rogers uh, as Brewster Baker in the 1982 movie Six Pack, which also was the theatrical debut for an Anthony Michael Hall. Brewster Baker was a NASCAR driver. His car was number 49. But nonetheless, that's it. Jonathan Silverman, Kenny Rogers. Boom, boom. That's Screen Stars. That's great. That's great. Kenny Rogers, man. Screen Stars. Open, shut. Good. Like it. There you go. Which means we can move on to the Hall of Shame. And Rudy... Um, I don't want to rub salt in the wound too much. So let's start at the bottom and we'll work our way to the top. But you know where we're going. You know exactly <laughs> where we're heading. Let's start off with Byung Hyung Kim. If you remember the World Series in 2001, uh, he blew saves in both game four and game five. Yeah. And I, before we move on from Mr. Kim, that's one of the saddest moments when he gave up the home run in the 2001, the second time, second time in a row in game five. I felt s- literally sad for Kim. I mean, I hate the Yankees, so I was sad for me too and the rest of the country that hates the Yankees, but that was tough to watch, man. That was tough to watch. So. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's crouching yeah, down. He's got his terrible. head down. It, it, yeah. It's not a not a good look. And and But probably the reaction that you should have when somebody like Scott Brocious hits a home True. run off True you. story. True story. All right. Chris Sale. I I love this story just for really for one thing. He's a great pitcher. When he was playing for the White Sox, they were going to they were going to wear a throwback jersey, which was the collared jersey, the one that they did pair with shorts a couple of times. He didn't want to wear them. And so he took a pair of scissors and he cut them all up and he missed a start. And the White Sox suspended him for five days. Uh, I just love that story. (laughs) So crazy, man. By the way, the short, those outfits were awesome. Remember Chet Lemon throwing down that? I mean, that you were embarrassed wearing it, I'm sure. But man, that's a great idea. Shorts. Yeah, there there are collar. way worse uniforms to, that should be cut up uh, than than that one. Way, way worse. worse. Old school Astro, old school Astro jersey, cut up, right? Old school Vancouver. Wait, 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 wait. The oh, Houston oh, oh, oh. Astros tequila sunrise <laughs> uniforms. Yeah, Those are the greatest oh, uniforms in the history of the game. The, the Astros' current uniforms are garbage. Oh. And those ones no, are so freaking well, sweet. They've never had a great uniform, but those are oh. not sweet. Those are that's revisionist history now. It's like a guy that likes the 1975 top cards. Oh. They weren't cool then. They're not cool now. It's okay. You it's are right. entitled to your opinion, Mr. Klanik, no matter how wrong it's, you may be. About those particular right, uniforms, but let's, let's move on. Let's See, go we've got a beef two. going, and number two is all about beef. Jose Mesa pitched for 19 years in the big leagues, wore number 49 for most of his career, 321 saves, which is 20th all time. And in 1995, he had a really great year. I had 46 saves and actually finished second in the running for the for the Cy Young. But the reason that he's on the Hall of Shame list has to do with the World Series in 1997. It's the bottom of the ninth, and Mesa comes in and basically blows a save. And this touches off a beef with then-Indians shortstop Omar Vizquel, where Vizquel, in his autobiography, called Mesa a choker and actually called him out on the first page of the book. And so Mesa says that he, he, you know, he has basically vowed revenge against Omar Vizquel and says that he's going to hit him every time he pitches against him 
for the rest of time. And if he comes to the mound, he's going to kill him. So the beef is on big time. Uh, it turns out that that uh, Mesa and you know, Vizquel pretty much stayed in the American League and stayed with the Indians for a long time. And and Mesa bounced around. So he went to the National League and, you know, did some things. So he didn't get to throw at him as much as he wanted to. But he did throw at him at least twice. The two have never spoken to one another since. So for that reason alone, Jose Mesa belongs on the list. That's an amazing story. I think the lead of that, though, is that Omar Vizquel had an autobiography. Yeah. And you want to know what it's called? What's it called? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I got to get away from the microphone. <laughs> Omar. Wow. It's called Omar with an exclamation point. So how many, because more people read that why not? than listen to our podcast. What do you think? Uh, God, let's hope, <laughs> let's hope not. All right. Number two is Jose Mesa. Let's go for number one. Let's make this quick. You're, you're ready? Oh, we're ready. You're ready? Oh, we're ready. <laughs> we're ready. Want, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I'll just give you the, I'm just going to leave, give you the floor here as the, as the resident Dodger fan. I'm going to give you the floor uh, for number one on the Hall of Shame yeah, list. Number one is an easy one. Um, it's Tom Needenfuhrer. Tom Needenfuhrer gave up two of the biggest, worst, baddest, whatever you want to say, just terrible home runs to the same stupid team, the freaking St. Louis Cardinals. Ozzie Smith. Okay, let's put it in perspective. So Tom Nienefeuer was a pretty good closer in his time. Um, power pitcher, big right-hander. Um, Ozzie Smith was a great defensive shortstop, was a slap hitter, fantastic player but not a home run player. He hadn't homered in 2,967 career left-handed at-bats. 2,967. You, you, you want to hear what happened next? You want to hear it? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's you, hear what you happened hear it? next. All right, here it is. Smith, Clark's one in the right, down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Well, thank you. That, I love re, uh, I love reliving that memory um, as Ozzie Smith ran around the bases. He probably didn't even know what to do. I'm, I'm shocking he ran the correct way. So then two days later, um, Tom Lasorda gives the ball back to his closer, and they decide with a base open, man on second, but a base open, they're going to go ahead and pitch to Jack Clark. Now, Jack Clark, unlike Ozzie Smith, was a big-time home run hitter. Um, we had the very dangerous Andy, Andy Van Slyke. Um, but now we decided to pitch to Jack Clark instead. You know what happens next. You want to hear it? Three run home run. Let's hear it, Tom. Go for it. It is Jack Clark and Tom Needenfuhr going head to head and the ball game on the line and the crowd on its feet. One way or another, what a way to end. Okay, well, that's enough of that. Now, on the upside for Tom Nienfuhrer, other than the fact that he had a really cool blue glove that I actually bought because, you know, he's a blue glove. I'm a Dodger fan. And Tom Nienfuhrer, before the 1985 National League Championship Series, was actually pretty good in my mind until then. But you know what? All is well that ends well. He ends up marrying the beautiful Judy Landers. And he has two beautiful daughters, Christy and Lindsay. They have created a band called, wait for it, Official Hot Mess. 
Fantastic. We don't have, I don't think we have any audio of that. But you can find it online. You can find Official Hot Mess. Look it up. It's basically, they look exactly like Judy Landers. So fortunately, I mean, not that Tom Needenfewer is a bad looking guy, but Tom Needenfewer, you know, they don't look like him. They look like their mom, and that's that's a great thing. So number one, Hall of Hall of Shamer is Tom Needenfear. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, you know that that's it's three bad days, but you know then you got Judy Lander, so it it, it could be worse. Uh, Rudy, let's move on to the heat check. These are 49s of current import to to watch for. Rudy, give us number five. Well, number five is Chris Sale. When he's not cutting up jerseys, he's really good. So Chris Sale is number five on our list. Yep. Chris Sale now wearing uh, number 41. He actually switched when he went to the Red Sox out of respect for Tim Wakefield, who we mentioned earlier. Uh, Number four on the list, Julio Tehran. Dude is durable as the day is long. He's an innings eater. He's going to throw 200 innings for you. And, you know, he's got to change of scenery here. So he's going to pitch for the Angels this year. Um, And maybe that'll do him some good. Number three is Jake Arrieta. Um, and I have a brush with greatness with Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta, fantastic um, pitcher for the Cubs for several years, won the Cy Young. Um, now with the Phillies, donning number 49. He's also wore some other numbers. He wore 57, 34, and 38. Started his career with the uh, Baltimore Orioles, but really hit the peak with the Cubs, man. He had a great season, 22 and 6 in 2015. And I actually um, chauffeured him to the Super Frog Reading Challenge, where Jake read to third graders in the Fort Worth Independent School District. So Jake's a good guy, too. Jake is a community guy and uh, with a mean cutter and a pretty mean fastball still. So Jake Harriet is number three. Nice job. And 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 great uh, brush with, with greatness uh, as, as well. Number two on our list, again, Cardinal Homer, uh, Jar- Jordan Hicks, who will probably be the Cardinals closer again here before too long. 23 years old, hardest thrower in the game. His sinker averaged average rudy 101 and a half miles an hour rudy who's number one number one is shakim griffin man what a great story this guy is had his left hand amputated as a child this is probably a big year for him in seattle figuring out whether he's going to fit in or not but and, and he's another guy making a difference on and off the field i mean just a great story we talked to jim abbott in a previous podcast and it's just such a great inspirational uh, story for young people and just all people um, but great great guy there and so that's a, that's a good heat check um, we're hoping for big things out of him this year where he he finds a finds a good spot there in Seattle or maybe somewhere else. You know, he's definitely a guy that you root for, yep. for, for yep. sure. So uh, the heat check list from five to one, Chris Sale, Julio Tehran, Jake Arrieta, uh, who can read because Rudy's seen him do it, uh, right. Jordan Hicks and Shaquem Griffin. Nice. Rudy, that only leaves us with the Hall of Fame. Uh, why don't you start us off with uh, number five on the uh, Hall of Fame list? Yeah, so number five, um, we talked about him earlier, Dennis Smith, fantastic safety for the Broncos. Steve Atwater, really credit Smith for making him the the, the very good pro and the, the Hall of Famer that he uh, was for the Broncos. But D- Dennis Smith's a good number five in our Hall of Fame uh, for sure. How about number four, Tom? Number four, we're going to give it to Charlie Huff. Uh, we said it before, he played 25 years, wore number 49 for all 25 of those years from 1970 to 1994. Uh, and he has the distinction of being the winning, winningest pitcher in history with a 500 record. He was 216 and 216. So Charlie Huff is number four. Who's number three? 
Number three is another knuckleballer, Tim Wakefield. Tim Wakefield was a really good pitcher, finished his career 20 games over 500. Again, 17 seasons anywhere is amazing. So especially in a pressure cooker like Boston, Tim Wakefield's our number 349. How about number two? Number two, uh, Louisiana Lightning, a great, great nickname. Uh, Ron Guidry, you know, his performance in 1978 alone probably uh, gets him on this list. So Ron Guidry is uh, number two on our list, which brings us, drumroll please, to number one. Rudy, who's the uh, who's our Hall of Famer at number 49? Well, our Hall of Fame interview is Ed Marinero at number 49. Number one is Bobby Mitchell. Uh, Bobby Mitchell, um, fabulous player for the Redskins excelled at two positions and made big contributions, obviously on the field, but also in the front office, but also had some uh, really standout moments. Um, and we can relate to this right now, man, making a difference in uh, his community, making a difference on the social scale. There you go. So let's recap the Hall of Fame. Dennis Smith, number five, Charlie Huff, number four, Tim Wakefield, number three, Ron Guidry, number two, and Bobby Mitchell, number yep. one. I like it. It makes sense. And um, we can give a little extra thanks at the end to Scott Malaga again for allowing us to connect with Ed Marinero, which is a fantastic interview you guys heard earlier and was the reason we spotlighted 49. And that'll do it for this edition of Putting Up Numbers. Our thanks again to the great Ed Marinero for joining us. Remember, you can find show notes and social media links at our website, puttingupnumbers.com. And if you like what we're doing, please like and subscribe and give us a rating. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I'm Rudy Kleinig. And we'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers. 